Right, so this morning we're going to be looking at influence, which is the third of our values. Um, we have already looked at interdependence and inclusion. Today we're looking at influence, and then we've got intimacy and involvement to come. Um, I'll just retract that. There we go. We'll start again. Um, now, before I do start talking about influence, I want to go back to last week, because I was leading the service, and um, usually what happens before the service is we meet together, we go through what's going to happen, and then we pray. But for various reasons, there wasn't time to meet together. And as the service leader, I had almost no idea what was going to happen. Um, and then um, um, Eliza, who, who spoke brilliantly, if you, if you weren't here last week, you should check out what she said online. Um, she prepared a poem as part of Black History Month. And as it was being read, um, about seven little boys started running around. And despite being the service leader, it was left to me to control them. So I had to control these little boys, and then I was aware that the poem finished. Roddy kind of sat down, and it was my turn to take over. And I, as I looked out at all of you, I had absolutely no idea what had just been said, and it was my job to reflect. Um, and I did a very bad job. Then in the evening, um, there was an opportunity for me to listen to the poem. And the poem was written, I think, by um, a South African lesbian woman who had been raped, I think, um, and it was called Repentance, and it was a very hard poem to listen to about the injustices that she, this lady, had, had faced. Um, and then it was my job to reflect again, and it was one of those things that just kind of hits you, and you're just like, what the heck? How am I... I don't know what to do with this. It's just made me feel uncomfortable. Um, and so I had nothing, and I turned to Eliza, and I said, Eliza, what does this mean? Can you explain it to us? And she said, uh, yeah, it's from this book. I was like, a little bit more of the book. And she just gave us the name of the poet. It's like, mm, okay, we'll move on. But it was only later that I realized the whole point, I think, of that poem was to make us feel uncomfortable. And I thought, I can't, how do I respond to that? I, it doesn't relate to me. And I think that was the whole point of the poem, that how do you respond to this? How do you respond to things that are drastically and radically different? Do you just excuse them from your experience? Or do you incorporate them and consider, how do I respond to this person? How do I meet their needs? And today we're looking at influence, which I think follows on rather brilliantly from that, because it's asking the question, okay, if we, if we need to find a response, how do we do that? And influence, I think, is about that. Um, obviously, this is a term that we're all very familiar with. Um, I don't want to teach you to suck eggs, um, so I'm just going to check your egg-sucking technique. Um, this is the definition of influence. This is what we're talking about this morning. The capacity to have an effect on the character development or behavior of someone or something. It's about change. It's about swaying someone's position, their, their trajectory. And we talk a lot about influence um, all the time. We are a very um, fit, we are a very sporty nation. Um, and by sporty nation, I mean we like to observe rather than participate in exercise. Um, I'm a Crystal Palace fan, which is, which is a hard slog, really. Um, and occasionally, though I don't do it too often because it's ultimately just crushing, um, I, I watch Crystal Palace highlights, of which there are very few. Um, but the, the pundits often talk about footballers having a big influence on the game. And again, this is reserved to talk about opposition players, never Crystal Palace players. Um, but we talk about players who can come on the pitch and change the outcome. 
So we talk about their influence. And we talk about artists and the influence that musicians have or artists have. And we talk about the people who have influenced their perspective or the way they see the 12 notes or the way they use colour or the way they express their thoughts. This is Bruce Springsteen, who I think is the original source of all goodness. Um, any good music this man influenced, it all stems from Bruce Springsteen. And this is a really important message for the church to think about, influence, because I, to my bones, I believe that the church has the most important message to share with the outside world. We have a radical message of inclusion. And, and I know that we have at times got it horribly, horribly wrong, and I'm not talking about that. Um, we, I think we sometimes confine God to to operate only in the shadow of our prejudice and fear. This week, um, there was a news article which turned up again. It's been going around for years and years. It's the, um, you know, the Christian bakers. Have you, are you aware of these guys? That, so it's a Christian couple who were asked to make a, a cake for a same-sex wedding or celebration or something. And they said, oh, we can't because God says we shouldn't do this. Um, and then it got, became a bigger thing about should you be should you have to do something you don't want to do? You don't, you don't have to do things you don't want to do, but don't pin it on God. When we pin God, when we pin our own fears and prejudice on God, that's not God. That's not God at all. I'm talking about the God that we read about displayed through Christ. Christ who mixed things up and always stretched the boundaries, always included more people. That's the kind of God, the radical God, the message of Christ. And I'm not talking about the words, I'm talking about the lifestyle of Christ and the lifestyle of those who followed him. That's the, red, the radical message that I think we need to be bold and confident and we need to go outside and we need to influence things. Um, this week, other things in the news, there's, you know, the, the usual corruption, various murders, there's been huge storms, there's been a few good things, there's been a royal wedding, just me, hooray! <laughs> you dirty Republicans. Um, um, There's also been a report by the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change. Um, And in their report, they said that we have 12 years to reduce our emissions by 45%. That's massive. This is huge news. And I think we have collectively said, 12 years? And And you're coming to us with this now, we'll go away and come back in 11. It's kind of like, it's on our to-do list. It's not imminent. This is imminent. And we as a church, I think we have to stand up. This is a moment to exert our influence and say this is, this is not enough because we believe in a creator God. And our scripture and the way that, li- that, that Christ lived his life, it was about reconciling all of creation with God. So this is our moment, is it not, to stand up and exert our influence on the outside world and say, this is wrong. We need to be reconciled with God. We need to live in a way that celebrates and preserves all this good that we share rather than exploit it for our own gain. We need to stand up. Um, uh, Daryl, who's up in the corner, where where is Daryl? Oh, he's by the door. Daryl runs a charity called Sark's. And Sarks, um, the, the kind of, I don't know what the mission statement is, but they ran a conference um, last year. It was here. It was a really good conference. And it was, the question was, is the gospel good news for animals? And um, Sarks is a Christian animal charity. It's okay to be thinking what you're thinking. I thought it too. That's a bit quirky, a little bit odd. 
But here's the truth. When you stop to think about this, this is, there is an obvious answer, and you realize it's central. Because we believe that the gospel is about reconciling all of creation to God. We can't claim to worship a God, a creator God, if we say that this doesn't have implications for animals. If we don't say it has implications for how we treat our planet. I'm talking about it all. And I think we need to be bold with that. And so, so here's an odd thing um, to start thinking about. Our value is not just about influence. It's not influence by itself. It's influence through service. And that, to me, it sounds like, crikey, well, that's a bit of a, kind of puts us on the back foot. It seems like a slow approach. Is this not more important than serving people? We need to exert this influence. We need to reconcile with people with God. Think about that. Who here has Netflix? A few of you. Who here has seen The Crown? Great show. Who here has seen... Um, I forgot more of this one. <laughs> Stranger Things. It, Stranger Things is probably the best thing that's ever appeared on any TV screen anywhere. If you haven't seen this, you need to get Netflix, like get it for a month for free. Binge this and then ditch Netflix. It's, it's seriously good. Who here has seen... These are both Netflix originals. Who here has seen Salvation? No one. I thought there would be someone else. People, you do... One other. You do not know what you're missing. Um, I will tell you what you're missing. You're missing the realisation of just how bad a script Netflix are willing to fund. This is... <laughs> I mean, it is really bad. And it's not, um, you might think Salvation, oh, it's a pious kind of religious program. It's not. It's awful, awful sci-fi. And it's essentially the same story as Armageddon, um, only less good and much longer. Um, <laughs> it is awful. And you know the story. There's an asteroid. It's heading towards Earth. It's going to wipe out life as we know it. But there's a twist. And the twist is there's no Bruce Willis to save us. <gasps> And so we have to turn to this, um, this, this group of people. The, the guy at the back on the right, he's a brilliant young physicist. And he comes up with this idea of um, a gravity tractor. Ah, gravity tractor. That sounds like a brilliant idea. I don't know what this is. I shall tell you what a gravity tractor is. Um, so you launch a rocket from Earth, obviously, because that's where we are. Um, and they launch a rocket towards Saturn. Saturn is a massive planet, as you know, second largest in our solar system, has a huge gravitational pull. So as the rocket approaches Saturn, it speeds up and speeds up and speeds up. They fire it almost into, well, into a kind of partial orbit. And so as it slingshots around Saturn, it, this rocket kind of reaches huge speed. And it slingshots around Saturn, then it comes back towards Earth. It catches up with the kind of in the slipstream of the asteroid, catches up with the asteroid, moves out, moves out to the side, and then it uses its, its, its own mass to attract the, the asteroid and to, to change its course. So it runs alongside the asteroid. And as you know, mass attracts mass. That's kind of gravity. That's how gravity works. or That's how we observe it. I say we. Scientists observe it. Um, we, us, Scientists don't understand why, but that's, that's how gravity has been observed. So this gravity tractor flies alongside the asteroid just for long enough to influence its course, and it, and it changes its tra uh, trajectory away from Earth and away from this cataclysmic explosion that's going to wipe out Earth. A brilliant um, kind of story or metaphor for explaining influence, not so good for um, a Netflix show. Um, but I think that's how... That's how influence should work. 
that's how influence does work. Influence is not about kicking someone into touch and that immediate change. It's about walking alongside people. It's about understanding them. It's about listening to them. That's what we're talking about when we talk about influence. And that's obviously countercultural because we live at a time where we say, you know, we want change and we're thinking, you know, feature wall, magnolia, magnolia, mirror. And we think, B&Q tomorrow. B&Q, it's not, it's not going to deliver. I need it now. So we've got Amazon. We can do it from home. Amazon, not fast enough. We've got Amazon Prime. Brilliant. Amazon Prime, not fast enough. We've got Prime now. We, we exist in a world where we, we get things at, on the moment. We can't wait. And yet influence, influence is, is about sharing life. It's about understanding. It's about listening. And as we listen, as we develop relationships, as we, as we um, earn people's trust, that's when we kind of have influence, lasting influence, kind of bring about change that will last. And this is, this is I think, what Jesus was about. We, we, um, Kessler read from Matthew 5. So before um, the bit of uh, Matthew 5 that we heard from where Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law, he goes through the Beatitudes, which are kind of like his own law. And then he says, oh, I'm, not, I'm not ignoring the law. I'm, I'm not doing away with it. And then after that, you might know he goes on to kind of even, you know, drive, the, drive it home a little bit more. He increases what the law demands. And so he, he, he kind of changes it. And, and we know that through, through his life and through his ministry, there were times when he kind of seemingly disobeyed some of the popular interpretations of the law. I think if you look at the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ as it's, as it's um, shared with us through the Gospels and the writings of Paul and Hebrews, you realize that what Christ was doing was he was coming alongside something that already existed. Jesus was born and died a Jew. He didn't start the church, did he? His followers did. But he, he was born and, and died a Jew. He came alongside that great tradition and he said, I'm not changing this, but, but walk with me. I'm changing this tra trajectory. You think it's about keeping all these laws, about doing things just right? Look where you're headed. I want to bring you on this slightly different path. And this path is about love, ultimately. It's about inclusion. It's about embracing people. It's not about, I'm not concerned about what you do or don't write on a cake. I'm concerned about you sharing love and compassion. That's, that's what this story is about. So that's what Jesus was about. Now, um, a few, towards the end of last year, you'll remember that we had, some of you may remember, we had a cake sale. Um, and this was really to serve two purposes. The first was to um, legitimize and then necessitate the work that the church is now doing um, with diabetes. Um, and then the second was to raise some money um, for a well in Liberia. Um, uh, so I, I kind of run a very small charity and um, are working with a community in Liberia. This community had no water, they had no toilets, which meant that they were kind of having to defecate in the streets at night. Um, the, the school was, um, well, it was barely standing. Um, they used a room smaller than this in, in a church, actually, and they had six blackboards that they used as, well, blackboards, but also partitions for the different classes. Um, anyway, I went out to Liberia recently to to see how it's all going. And it is, this is a tangent. The first thing I want to say is just thank you for supporting this because it is, it's amazing. I mean, it truly is amazing. One of the things that, um, that we try to do 
is we try to come alongside people. We don't, we don't have that stupid, or, or, well, we try not to have a, an ignorant and stupid approach, which is, to, you know, we've got all the answers. Now just sit down and tell me what problems you have. <laughs> we, we try to work with communities and sit down, listen to them, find their opportunities and obstacles, and then find a local solution. And often they don't have money, which is why we need to fundraise. But, um, but it's about finding the people who can, who can influence change. And because of that, it, it has expanded far beyond what I could possibly have imagined. So it's all going great. I say all that just to say thank you. Um, but I was in Liberia recently, and um, a couple of weeks ago, and I met with um, a guy who trades in, um, in coffee. Um, coffee and cocoa. And whilst I was there, um, they were accepting their main yield of cocoa. Um, and you have never seen so much chocolate. Well, not chocolate, it's cocoa, but it smells good. You've never seen so much in your life. Um, and I m met with this guy, um, and I, I went into his office, and we were having a chat. About 30 seconds after I arrived, I was presented with some food. And then um, and he, the, the trader's always on the phone, and he's making all these deals. And then these two guys shuffle in. And these two guys are, um, they just don't belong there. They're uncomfortable. You know, they're, you can tell they're wearing their best clothes, but they're not their good clothes. I mean, they're not good clothes. They, the whole thing, there's this weird power dynamic. So the trader's sat behind his de desk, feet up on the desk, um, on the phone, doesn't greet them, doesn't acknowledge them. I mean, at all. Um, and these guys shuffle in, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And they get this little, tiny little, um, maybe a, uh, A6 notepad out. And it's got about 15 lines to a page. And they flick over six pages. And on each page is a list of farms, and how much, the, the farms that they represent in their cooperative, and how much they need to get f from the trader. Um, so they go through. And the trader, he's on the phone, doesn't really pay them any attention, but he's, he's like, come on, come on, show me, show me the numbers. And he's, he asks for it. And they, so they present the, the book, and they point to the number. And, and he, he says, no, 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 he's on the phone. He just shakes his hand. And then he gets out a calculator, whacks in a number, and turns it to them and says, you know, this is what you're getting. And, and these two guys, they look incredibly confused. They're like, well, that's wrong. It's the wrong number. So they go back to their book. They add up all the numbers. And they, they go back to the trader, and they say, this, this is the number. This is, this is what we need. The trader says, no, 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 no. And he, well, he shakes his hand, um, hand and head. He's still on the phone. He brings the phone to his chest. Doesn't, still hasn't acknowledged or said hello to these guys who have worked all year. This is their main crop. This is their main income for the year. Um, he, he calls out a name, and this other guy comes into the room. And then, and then he, he does... Uh, then he speaks, he says, this is what they're getting, hands him, hands him the calculator, and the, and the deal is eventually struck. N never is it explained to the farmers or the, you know, the, the um, representatives of the cooperative why they're getting a different amount. So when they go back and have to share the money and there's a shortfall, I, I imagine it was going that way rather than, oh, no, no, we want less. <laughs> it was, so it must have been that they were getting less. Um, uh, and when there's a shortfall, they wouldn't be able to explain to the, the, the farmers where the, the shortfall has come from. And then what happens is um, uh, the trader opens his safe. And I have, 
genuinely, I've never seen this much money in my life. There must have been, must have been close to a million dollars in there. And he pulls out this stack of money, and it's huge. And he just, and in front of these guys who have nothing, he kind of peels off these hundred-dollar bills, just you know, peels them off, hands it to them, and then and then goes through, you know, the, the change and goes to the small amount. And it's and it's one of those instances where. It, like you just, I just had no response and you feel sick to the bone it's just, it's a complete injustice and I'll tell you where I was staying I, uh, in the evening I was staying in um, in the trader's hotel which he just built, it cost three million dollars which he, he told me about and then that evening we went out for lunch to one of the poshest restaurants I've, I've ever been to and it's, there is a huge injustice now, sitting with him and talking with him, I learned a bit more of his story. I know that I can't just be mad, but I also know that it is an injustice which I don't know how, but I am committed to influencing. Like, it, it's just, it is just wrong that people who are, are exploited in that way. And I sat down and I spoke with traders and they said, oh, oh you know, the situation for, for farmers is, is getting better. You know, they've got wells now. Thank you guys, by the way. Um, and, and literally, they go in and paint over cracks. You know, th so things are getting better for them. But things are getting better at a, a disproportionate rate. So as things have got better for farmers, who now have a well, which is great, the traders now have a hotel. <laughs> it's kind of... <laughs> someone's going faster than someone else. The, then you go, you go further down the line. Um, uh, a guy who I went with, his boss, last year... Um, uh, bought three houses and a boat. So, you know, like everything's getting better. Well, it's not getting better at the same rate. And that, I think, is tantamount to getting worse because they're, they're becoming more marginalised. Anyway, so I am 100%, and I'll say it now, I don't know how, but I am committed to influencing that because it is wrong. And I think that we as a church have to stand up and change things. But how do we change things? I think it comes through... It comes through service. It comes through walking alongside people, understanding the situation better. And the reason why service is, is the means for change, the means for influence, two things. One, because that is the change that we want to see. We, want, we know that through watching and looking and studying the life of Christ, it is about service. Because it's as we serve each other, that's when community grows. That's when we're all served. That's when we find ourselves. That's when we're included. So um, inclusion and, and service, that is the change. That's why we do that. But also, it's through service that you allow yourself more time to listen, to understand, and to affect change. But we absolutely must. Um, before I finish, I want to talk about one more thing. And that is, we've, we've briefly looked at, well, we've at length looked at how we can influence the things um, around us, influence the people next to us, influence industries, and how actually, if we want to change those things, even the things that we cannot tolerate, we have to sit beside the, our enemy. We have to love our enemy. Sit beside the things that we cannot tolerate, try to understand them, and work with them. But then secondly, I just want to spend a little bit of time thinking about the things that influence us as individuals. So. Because of the work that I do through um, this charity, um, I occasionally have to fly by myself. And there is a strange thing that happens when you fly by yourself. This may just be me, but I'm willing to test it. 
When you fly by yourself, the normal social rules that kind of bind us are, are, are suspended, and it's almost like you enter a duty-free world where normal rules just don't apply. Is that just me? It is just me. Okay, how embarrassing. Um, well, when I arrive at an airport, it's like, because I'm not with my friends and colleagues and family, the social rules, I'm, I'm kind of let loose, and I return to my base self. And base Dan, not so good. Anyway, so when I, I go through the um, security, my first three moves are always the same. I, I don't kind of premeditate them, but they are always the same. First of all, first stop, Dixon's, straight there. I don't know why. I don't know why. I've got headphones, I've got a computer, I've got a phone, and what's the other thing they sell? A camera. I've got them all. I don't need them. And yet I always go there, perhaps just to be tempted. Dixon's, number one stop. Third stop, last stop, is always coffee. So it's Costa, or if I'm feeling particularly fancy, I might go to Carluccio's. Um, but middle stop, and this is where there's some confession. Um, I, go to get, I go to one of those shops that kind of sells everything, you can get your travel toothpaste, you know, a bit of water, some chewing gum. Um, and then there's something that distracts me, and it's my peripheral vision. And then I check to make sure I don't know the cashier and anyone else in the shop. I don't, so it's okay. And I go over to the magazines and the books, and my eyes go straight to the top shelf. And I know, I confess to you now, I know there's nothing good there, and I know what's going to be there. It's going to be Dan Brown, it's going to be James Peterson, it's Patterson. It's going to be Fifty Shades of something. It's going to be... Um, we're talking top five trashy travel um, uh, uh, literature. You know, there is nothing good there. But I, I can't help it. I can't help it because I, I love it. And, and when it feels good to, to let that out. Um, and so you, you buy it, and then you sneak it into your bag. Always pay, pay um, cash, because if you pay card, they can trace it back to you. Um, so I go to Carluccio's, I have a coffee, keep the book in the bag, don't let anyone know. Get on the plane, open up very quickly, covers down so no one can see what you're reading. And then the trick is to try and um, to read it before you land, because then um, you can, as you get off the plane, as you disembark, you can just leave the book on someone else's seat. No one will ever know what you read. Well, a few years ago, I was at the airport, and this is what I discovered. I am, you know, ideal kind of travel trash, I'm looking for sci-fi, something apocalyptic, um, maybe a sprinkling of romance in there as well. And I read this on the back of a book. It said, all over the world, brutal animal attacks are crippling entire cities. Jackson Oz, what a great name. Um, a young biologist watches over the escalating events with an increasing sense of dread. When he witnesses a coordinated lion ambush in Africa, the enormity of the impending violence becomes terrifyingly clear. <gasps> I am hooked. Then it goes on. With the help of ecologist Chloe, ooh, potential sprinkling of romance, um, Oz races to warn the world leaders before it's too late. The attacks are growing in ferocity, cunning and planning, and soon there will be no place left for humans to hide. Dum, dum, dum. This is everything I want in a book. Sprinkling of romance, apocalyptic sci-fi. I bought it, and I read it on the plane. Um, can I just say, this is honestly true. This is an article that I read on the BBC this morning. <gasps> Kangaroo launches savage attack. It's happening, guys. It is happening. Um, but what happens is, um, when you read a book, when you, cr when you get into a book and you, you cram it in through the duration of, of a flight or whatever, or, or you know that when you're stuck into a really good book, you your kind of sense of reality and norm is, is kind of adjusted for a moment. 
And so when I got off the plane after reading that book, I'm, my, my kind of spider senses were tingling a little bit. I'm kind of aware, like the animals are rising up. And then we, you know, you get shuffled off the plane and then onto the bus. And I'm like, guys, get on the bus quick, close the doors. And you, it just takes you a while. Oh no, I need to calm down. It's not real, it's just a story. But the point is that we, more so than a lump of rock, we are influenced by the people around us. We are influenced by, by people who come close, who walk beside us. We're influenced by stories. We're influenced by, by the news. We're influenced by the time people allow us, by questions, by insight, by all of these things. We're incredibly profound. And so we need to be really aware of what we're allowing to influence us. I think we go through life, kind of, or I go through life far too casually. I kind of, I don't really, really vet what I read, obviously, what I watch, sometimes even the, the people I allow to speak into my life. But we're all here because we believe that there is something about the way Christ lived his life that gives us hope. And I think you'd all agree with me that we want to replicate that. We want to share that same hope and inclusion with the people around us. And so the challenge for us individually, I have two words to share with you. The first word some of you may recognize, it's not something we talk about in church a lot, asceticism. This is, this is um, uh, kind of, it's a severe self-discipline. It's something we, we're not very big into. And we're not big into it. We have a biblical mandate not to be because Jesus was a kind of party messiah. Most of the stories about him revolve around food, either consuming it or producing it out of nowhere or drinking it. Or not drinking food, but drinking. So, so Jesus knew how to have a good time. But Jesus was also the guy who spent 40 days in the desert preparing for his ministry because he knew he'd be up against tests and he wanted to ensure that his grounding was solid. And so there's a challenge to us. If we're serious about growing into the likeness of Christ, what are we willing to sacrifice? What hard decisions are we willing to make? That's asceticism. The second word is metanoia. And some of you may know of this word. Um, but metanoia is about change. Change that happens through sometimes through penitence, sometimes through persistence, sometimes through, well, it's through a deliberate act of study, of spending time, changing the way you think, changing your mind, changing your behavior. And that is metanoia. In the New Testament, it's eventually translated as, um, as repentance, which is interesting, puts a different slant on how we think about repentance. But it's all about changing into the likeness of something else. So there's two words for you guys to, to think about, to consider. They are um, asceticism, about making the hard choices, about being intentional about the kind of people we, we are changing into, and then metanoia, this hope that we can be changed into something that resembles Christ a little more closely. So let me pray for you. Um, and then I think Anna's going to, to lead us in, in a response. Um, but yeah, I challenge you to take these two words with you this week, but also consider how we can be a radical influence on the world around us, how we can take this important message to the darkest places and how that challenges us to walk into those places and alongside um, people who champion injustice. Father, I thank you um, for the story and that, that we 
we've discussed, we find ourselves in, and this place that is such a safe place for us to discuss these things, to think about what do, how do we make sense of all these things, to ask some really hard questions. I thank you that each person here is open to understanding more of this. And I thank you that each person here finds themselves under this great story, which is hopeful, which says you are a God of all creation and you delight in all of creation. Therefore, you delight in us. And Father, my prayer is simply that we would be more aware of our influence uh, this week, but also going forward. The influence that people have on us, but also the influence that we can exert on others and the change that we can bring into the world. Thank you for all of the opportunities that this church provides through small groups, through social gatherings. But Lord, may we now, just quietly in our own hearts, commit again to being influenced by you so that we can be a positive influence in the world around us. Amen.